0: And welcome to Pair Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network where we reflect on Wabo's most ritualistic work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse.
1: And I'm Elliot Diebold.
0: And we are back to talk about Stolen Away. Stolen Away. Uh, chapters 2.2, 2.3 2. and Notes on Spells. What was it? Yeah, I think Spell it was called Notes, notes, notes on number Spells.
1: Two. Although really, yeah. like I think the majority of our talk is going to be forest ribbon yes triumph.
0: not i mean that's also a spell right of sorts a, a ritual ish thing i guess
1: yeah that's fair that's fair
0: um what even is the spell you know <laughs> it's an arbitrary
1: definition let's have that argument i think yeah
0: let's get there later <laughs> um first let's start off with stolen away 2.2 2, um which begins with the Kenneteers calling on mist to give them another warning about not going to talk to the fairy just so they have more warnings about this to discard and ignore <laughs>
1: yeah I mean there's like a great bit where when Miss first appears, she's under the bridge that they're on, and so like <laughs> Verena uh, so Verona starts leaning over the bridge um to sort of try and get a glimpse of Miss, and Lucy has to like yank her back before she falls off um which first of all, I love all the interesting ways the universe seems to conspire to make sure you can't see Miss, but also just Lucy having to yank Verona from the edge of a bridge is. It's barely even a metaphor. I mean, that's just, it's just straight up like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't believe I, I didn't, and not even that, but she's being tempted over the edge of a bridge by Miss. Yeah. Like, it's very on the nose when you stop and think about it.
1: Um, And of course, like, you know, Avery's sort of sitting off to the side nervously, which, yeah. uh, you know, she's want to do. Is
0: is it Avery who's clutching like a bottle of soft drink at yeah, this point? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, classic Avery. Um,
1: probably, probably <laughs> the most sensible of a lot of them, honestly. Um, yeah. We also like and, and like, so we're in Verona's head for two point yes. two, and um, we we just had all that stuff in two point one about like how how she was, you know, basically getting like stress illness, like you know she she was starting to feel mm. physically sick, and she sort mm. of starts to talk about that more, and basically. I mean, for her, she's still thinking, "Oh my god, my emotions are so bad that it's making me sick. That mm. makes me shit and pathetic, like my dad." And it's just like she, like <laughs> Jesus she, fuck, she can't even let herself feel bad because it makes her think of it. Like that's just how deeply yeah. rooted this bad cycle is for her. Like it's it's so rough.
0: It's really toxic, huh? Like yeah, it's throughout this entire chapter. There are moments of her, and she like makes comparisons to her dad in her head. Yeah, And it's always, it's, it is just like this pervasive, toxic thing that is,
1: you know, ruining her life
0: or intruding on all these moments of her life. Maybe ruining is a bit strong, but definitely yeah. at least negatively impacting.
1: Well, like later on, she brings up the whole garden thing where she's like, oh, I'd love to do a garden as a yes, project that the my one "I was thinking would want to help. And, it, and it's just like, you can just see how, like maybe even all the stuff with the dancing, like her dad was like, oh, I'll take you to dancing and, and you know, I'll come to all your recitals and verona so then verona was just like fuck it i'm never dancing again
0: yeah it's it's totally that thing we were talking about last time we were in verona's head where oh no it was in lucy's head actually i think it was in 2.1 where um you know verona's hobbies are just completely like she she has no passion to pursue hobbies because anything that she wants to pursue would just be tainted by her dad
1: yeah yeah exactly and it yeah it sucks yeah, I hope 100%. she. I hope she finds a way past it that doesn't involve turning well, into something, you know, other.
0: Yes, turning into some other beast, monster, slash miss. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, and I, I wanted to dive into a bit more of the text of of uh, of uh, Mrs. Warning to the trio about fairies because I do think it's such a. Like, obviously, we'll we'll meet the fairies shortly, but the way it's set up, they just seem so crazy. Like, they're this thing that is all about weaving these elaborate webs of interconnected trickery. And it just kind of made me realize, again, how perfect this setting is for, like, a murder mystery story. Because these fairies are basically these examples of, like... The, the the iconic, like, Machiavellian supervillain in a mystery, you know, mystery villain who plans out every step of this mystery along the way and has these complex plans which fall into place piece by piece.
1: Yeah, they're like a Moriarty, except, like, believable, yes. because they've actually had thousands of years to, to practice this shit.
0: Yeah, and it is just, it, it kind of made me realise that more and more as we see more of these others... They all are basically their own version of, um, like tropes of villains from mystery or horror. I mean, horror, obviously, but mystery as well. Like it, it, it lends itself so well to this setting, this, this kind of story, because the others are just literal embodiments of the tropes from mystery (laughs) movies.
1: Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. Um, in in fact, actually, while we're talking about that, I I, I just wanted to shoehorn in another thing. Like, w uh, we obviously had Scott and Matt on for that reflections episode that we did mm. uh, earlier in mm. the week, and something there was something Scott talked to us about before, so before we went on air, that he then like forgot to actually say on air, and I just wanted to give him the credit for it now because I thought it was so much fun. Um, he was basically trying to work on this theory that each of the three Kenneteers sites are inspired Mm. by like classical evidence gathering parts of, of mysteries. So like Avery sees the connections and they sort of take the form of the film roles. So there's a Mm. bit of a security footage aspect to their manifestation as well as, you know, just the fact that she sees the connections between people. That's obviously great for figuring out clues. Um, And then Lucy, you know, reads people's emotions, which is great to to figure out the clues, but she, she kind of sees this as like, you know, Dagger wounds, like you know, it's the, it's the, it's the wound in the in the body that they find, um, in, in a way. And then I, I think Verona's yeah. was the one he he hadn't thought about. And I tried to think on it, and it's it's a little hard. I haven't quite cracked it, but uh, you know, Verona sort of sees this plastic sheeting, and she has a little friend friendos behind it, which I don't know. Maybe that's something to do with informants. I, m- yeah, maybe Scott's come up with something cleverer by now. I don't know, but um. Yeah, I just loved that that whole idea of how each of their sites was kind of, you know, dipping into mystery uh, clue-finding tropes.
0: Mm. The plastic sheet reminds me of, like, a covered-up body, so maybe that's something. Yeah. Like she's the, the victim.
1: I was thinking of that too, but I don't know. I, I... It doesn't super track, does it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know where to take it. Like, yeah, it feels like it's within reach, but isn't quite clicking.
0: Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, they, I think we should talk about the fact that these three have basically just been ignoring all the advice that they get from <laughs> most of the characters in this story. Um, I like, and it seems like it's especially miss presumably because miss maybe is the one they don't trust as much. And so they'll possibly listen to things that Edith and Matthew say, or they'll definitely listen when it's like a practical piece of like, here's a cool t- trick you can do. Right. But when yeah. it's, hey, here's a way you should act or not act around, for example, the Hungry Choir or these fairy or whatever, they just kind of ignore it. Um,
1: yeah. They're, and that's bad. <laughs> There's super good evidence for why young teenagers need boundaries. Because, <laughs> like, mm. Mi- Mist sort of takes this tack of, listen, everyone's telling you you shouldn't talk to them, I'm telling you you shouldn't talk to them, but I'm not going to stop you. Yeah. And and then they're like, okay, cool. Um, Well, we're going to go talk to the fairy. And she's like, okay. Like. Fucking! I I told you not to. Whatever.
0: Having said that, though, I mean, obviously, there's some bumps along the way, but I think it mostly works out okay so far, at least.
1: Yeah, but the whole thing is, is that two years down the line, yeah, like That's yeah. that's yeah. Miss's whole thing. And she's like, yeah, two years down the line, you're gonna find out this now. was yeah. the start of the elaborate ploy.
0: <sighs> um, but you know, we won't be paying attention to this story in two years. So what do we care? <laughs> 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 It'll be over by then. I mean, I don't know. God, we'll see um anyway so uh the other thing that i really like is miss sets up the idea that we'll see later of in order to break through the kind of trickery and complex webs that these fairies weave um you, you just kind of need to be blunt and to the point and lucy makes the connection with what cherry pop did where she tied a condom to a tree to smack them in the face which is just like oh shit like this was actually not just a ridiculous goblin thing but actually the exact <laughs> perfect way to deal with the fairy which is more evidence that cherry pop is the best and sanest character <laughs> in this story
1: yeah yeah there's like a, a there's like a hint here that they're setting up this sort of dichotomy between goblins and fairy and what, what's so funny is like i think at the surface level i would assume that the fairy are just completely on top of that dichotomy like, it would be very lopsided. But this thing Miss says seems to suggest it might actually be a bit more even just because the, like, the Goblin are, are so blunt and crass and, and easily tricked, but, like, the phase trickery kind of gets undone if you just throw poop at them. Like yeah. It's it's so, it's such a funny idea. Um, and I mean, in general, like, that would be my summary. Like, this whole dichotomy of the fairy are, like, these ultimate, you know, tricksters who are super clever. And they're so much fun. I mean, we're gonna get to, to Marissa and, and Gilmay in a sec, but they're so much fun. But so are the goblins, despite being completely the opposite. Like I, I love how Wildbo's managed to sort of set up two complete opposites and have them be like equal amounts of fun for the opposite reasons.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they like we obviously have kind of fallen in love with the goblins already because of their bluntness. And we fall in love with the fairy because of their you know trickery, and those are the exact opposites of each other, and yet they're both so delightful,
1: <laughs> and also frustrating in their own way. Like, yes, <laughs> it's it's so great. Like, yeah, he's managed to make both ends work just as well. It's it's so it's so much fun.
0: Yeah. Um. Another. There's so many bits in this. This is such a um. This is such a dense chapter. Like, so full of great things to pull out. Like, we haven't even got to the bit with the fairies, which is, I don't know, the, the <laughs> core of this chapter, and there's still so much. Um, anyway, I want to pull out this line where uh, Miss is talking about Marisica and s- refers to her as this so-called spider. So is, on a,
1: isn't she talking about the hungry choir at that point?
0: Is she? Wait. No, I thought she was talking about... it's. She's talking about the complex web that, that is being weaved by the fae. I
1: thought she was so, talking um, about the, the web of...
0: making me feel like i misremembered it oh right stolen away so-called spider
1: no you're right you're right you're right we can cut all this
0: hold on no yeah. no you're right uh, no you're right i think wait oh. no okay oh my god this is why it's confusing okay because they, they, they call both Verona references they call both of them spiders over the course of this chapter <laughs> uh, um no so Marissa, uh, miss is talking about Mercica here and refers to her as a so-called spider and it's it jumped out at me because um because we see in 2.3 that Mercica has this like spider face underneath all her illusion like that's yeah what the base version of her kind of looks like yeah. i suppose um and it's interesting like i don't think it's a, a trick by miss but it does feel like a just little like just little winks and nudges that exist in this world that these three just never are going to pick up on
1: <laughs> yeah I, I mean what's fun about this whole conversation with miss is it feels like she's being really obtuse at, like, like I, I just remember reading this the first time thinking god miss just answer a question directly then mm. we have the conversation with the fae and you come <laughs> back and read Miss's at the start and you're like oh she's so nice and direct <laughs> um, <laughs> Like, yeah,
0: comparatively, it's very straightforward. It, isn't yeah,
1: it? she's a little mistransparent relative to the fae Um, mm. I, I, I mean, the other thing that that sort of jumped out to me is later in the chapter, um, Verona brings up that like they've actually joked about Miss having a spider's face. Um, Jesus. So Miss is confirmed?
0: Yeah, yeah. But it seems like everything is a spider to to these people. Yeah. This is how they refer to everything.
1: No, I, I like. I just think it's funny because like, the, the joke about Miss having a spider's face is it was like, oh, it's because secretly she's like evil. And, and that was sort of the point of that joke. And then now they're like, hey, like the, the Marisica face reveal sort of comes when Avery's like, yeah, you know what? I think I am just going to hang out with the Fay a bunch more. Yeah. And it's like, no, you just found out she has the evil spider face. Yeah, do don't the, do the this. thing that
0: you said would be evil as a joke is actually true. <laughs> that that should be a warning sign, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. Uh,
0: um, yes, but we'll see if they take that warning. <laughs> they uh, won't. I doubt it. They won't. Um, they don't. They won't. Uh, so the other thing that Miss kind of drops in this conversation and never really elaborates on, but I found so fascinating, is she's got this genuine fear of potentially becoming a prop in the hungry choirs. Uh, Hunger Games, let's call them, um which is so wild. Like, is that a thing that could happen?
1: Yeah, this bit has been driving me nuts since I read it because it feels like Wabo is just like shaking the truth in front of our faces, mm-hmm. and I can't for the life of me figure out what this is hinting at. Like, so the the sort of context is she says, oh, "I could very easily become a prop in the in the Hunger Games." Um, like they set out a table, and I could very easily get drawn into becoming like the waifs or the flyers, like a tool for. Yeah. them. But yeah. I'm not at risk of that with the fairy because they s- turn the world into their stage, and I can just slip out of that. Mm. And so that like then I'm just sitting here and like what? What does that mean? What, what? Yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean, it winds up a bit. We obviously get a lot of people predicting that Miss is one of these lost people who take this this ribbon yes. trail. Yeah. Um and so that kind of winds up with the whole being able to escape the fae world as a stage thing i don't quite understand how it fits into the hungry choir part though like
0: yeah yeah i'm not sure either i it's hard it's hard to know right i my thought the only thought i really had from it was like you know we find out later that the forest or not the forest room that the the paths is this like place that things go even when you're like lost you're like double lost you know you're so lost that you're even more lost than the other lost places um and it kind of made it reminded me of the idea of like being forsworn as a practitioner but maybe for like an other the equivalent of that is like you become lost and so potentially if people realize that mrs lost that is like an avenue of power over her and that's maybe how she would get involved with the hungry choir doesn't quite track, but I, uh, I just yeah. I, I also was thinking about it and couldn't figure out anything that felt very concrete. Honestly,
1: yeah, yeah. I can't wait to see. If she is lost, maybe it's like because the hungry, the hungry choir opens like a little parallel dimensiony thing. Maybe mm. she'd get sucked into helping set that up. If she's someone who's but, kind of able to move between realms,
0: but based on what we see in the these these chapters. Also the Fey can probably do that with the fairy court, which are also not I mean not a, a parallel dimension that they would create, but one that they would kind of access and open up yeah. access to. So yeah, I you right. I I it's yeah, <laughs> it's <laughs> impossible to understand. <laughs> it um, just
1: yeah, this is just definitely gonna be one of those lines where like two arcs from now we're gonna look back at it and be like, oh, obviously.
0: Yeah. Um Uh, what else from this conversation? Oh, here's something. Uh, Miss makes reference to three outside practitioners who have taken interest in what's happened to the carmine beast. And as soon as I read this, my tinfoil hat started going off like crazy (laughs) because three practitioners who have, who are now curious about what has happened to the carmine beast sounds suspiciously like the Kenneteers, right? In (laughs) In fact, the only thing that makes me think it's not the Kenneteers and Miss isn't playing a prank here is... The word outside, but that could be referring to like outside of any in-group, right? Like outside of a council of others or whatever. It makes me think that my theory about the other practitioners being the, like there are being other practitioners that aren't the, these three is true because Miss is pretending that there are these outside practitioners, but the outside practitioners are actually the Kenneteers. <laughs> the other inside practitioners, are the ones that we haven't seen yet. That's my thought.
1: What if there's another town that has the same dynamic as Kennet and they've just done the same thing? So it's three, oh, yeah. it's going to be three, like 13 year old boys from another town who got to <laughs> uh, like by, by the, 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 the anti-Kenneteers. Yeah. Um I, I mean, I, I love the bit, like, yeah, I, I agree that the fact that there's three of them kind of stood out to me as like. That's suspicious it's a um, weird
0: it's a it's a weird coincidence, right
1: yeah, it's a common number, but like still it jumped out to me yeah um, it's
0: literally a common number in this world, like yeah, a powerful number true. but yeah
1: um but I, I love the detail Miss gives us on how she's sort of running interference with with the other practitioners, like she says she's sort of setting up scenarios where they'll have to interview witnesses and stuff, and it just again, like talking about diving into mystery tropes, she's like setting up like you know crime scenes to keep them buried in paperwork basically
0: yeah she's setting up lots of false leads yeah just to guide them down the you know the the garden path
1: um with
0: with the read that the practitioners she's referring to are the Tears, this becomes more insidious as well miss basically explicitly saying i'm fucking with you and setting up false <laughs> leads to, to to fuck you up basically yeah,
1: although do they encounter the things she's talking about? They I'd don't encounter
0: go... the specific things she's talking about, no, which seems to indicate that it's not it's not as direct as what um, I initially might have thought, but you never know.
1: I mean, what's funny is this idea that if the practitioners do come and start to make a fuss, then the town will basically rely on the Kenneteers to sort of show up and act like they know what they're doing, which would just yeah. be a hell of a lot of fun.
0: Can we talk about the point, the part as well, where Miss said that if somebody does make a play to control the town, they'll have to band together and destroy
1: them? Yeah. <laughs>
0: like, not just kill them, but fucking destroy them? Jesus Christ, Miss.
1: Yeah, the Kenneteers don't seem to react appropriately to being told yeah. they'll like have to be part of a, a war. Yeah, they're
0: going to be conscripted to a <laughs> fight, basically, is what Miss says. And they don't, they have no
1: reaction to that. They're sort of like, oh, that doesn't sound great. And it's like, well, yeah, it's, it actually sounds very not great.
0: But I don't even think they're reacting to the destroying bit. They're just reacting to it in general and being like, oh, wow. That, yeah, yeah, you're right. We would have to do that. That would be terrible. <laughs> like,
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, yeah cool. Uh, so the other thing that's great is Lucy in this, it seems to be on Verona's case a bit. Um, yeah. Seems to be close to figuring out that something's up with Verona and is going to hopefully back her off of the ledge that she's dangerously walking close to.
1: Uh, yeah, I I mean, we've sort of been getting these, these beats a lot, the the last few chapters about how all three, but particularly these two are just so tuned into each other. Like we kind of saw in Lucy's head in 2.1, she was like, Verona's about to do something fucking dumb. Yeah. And, um, like the, you know, we'll get to later, but like, you know, all these sorts of bits where they're watching out for each other and just later, I think it's more fun. The, all the interactions when Verona is a mink. That we'll get to like it. It's it's such a. F- I I'm, I just really enjoy the dynamic between these three. Like the, the way they genuinely care for each other, and they're watching out for each other, but also taking the piss from each other. It's it's so much yeah. fun.
0: Yeah, it's a great dynamic, isn't it? Um, so yes, uh, so I guess we can finally move on from the conversation with Miss, <laughs> and uh, the next thing that happens, the Kennetiers head to visit John to uh, basically refill their dog tags from him. And he's just chilling and playing guitar like a total babe.
1: I love how just Glazer he is about the whole thing. They're like, oh, you know, sorry if last night wasn't serious, but, you know, like, we really appreciated your help. And I think his exact response is something along the lines of like, no, it was cool. Like, I had a good time. uh, It was a fun
0: hang, (laughs) you know, shooting some ghost children. You know how it is.
1: Yeah, and then he's like, yeah, some of them came and gave me the stink eye before, but what of it? um yeah in fact this p this scene is so peaceful and tranquil and nice i'm actually i'm gonna i'm gonna have my goal at doing one of these bold predictions you've been doing and i'm i'm giving Mm. it i'm gonna walk in this is the last time we see john alive
0: that's crazy that you would say that elliot why would you introduce that concept into the world why would you (laughs) manifest that
1: idea because if it
0: happens now it's your fault
1: Fine, I'll, I hope you know I'll accept that. that but I'll be—I'll be right, and that's what's important. Yeah, you'll have and
0: <laughs> predictor points. That's the most important currency for the podcast
1: game. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't horrible. know. There's something just so good about this whole scene that I just started to get very worried for Jot.
0: Yeah. Um. One of my favorite things in this scene is—I didn't notice it on my first read-through, but I paid more attention to the specific games that Verona gives. And how they talk about them. And it's totally, one of the games that they give, John, is just an alternate, alternate universe Pokemon game. Oh, yeah. Um, it's even Lucy, you got to yeah, bind them Lucy all. even says, <laughs> oh, you got to bind them all. That's good. <laughs> Lucy says that she got the orange-red edition of the game to yeah. play, which is classic Pokemon spoofing. Um, I just, yeah, I wonder what alternate universe Pokemon looks like, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, especially, like, in a world like this, like, you know, if if you're in the if you're in the pact verse something like yokai watch is actually like really insensitive
0: well here's the thing they refer to it as the monster game and then that as a word obviously has implications in this world not in yep. the least because in this chapter and the next chapter the word monsters referring to the fairy and the rest of the others in general comes up quite a lot so maybe it yeah, is like to do with you know monsters in the sense of all the spooky others that we've been seeing around
1: Well, I mean, especially, like, yeah, just just to take that step further, like, the idea of the the three human practitioners going up to this other and being like, here, you can borrow this game we have where we run around and catch monsters and trade them. And it's just like, (laughs) but don't worry that we're going to turn into evil practitioners who bind monsters. Like, that's not what we want to do. We just play video games that are like that.
0: Yeah, true. That's possibly the implication of what that would look like <laughs> if
1: you give that to John.
0: Like, no, no, no. You know, it's like they would have this legitimate fear about um video games turning people violent, but not violent in the way we think of it, violent <laughs> they just have a disregard for other creatures and collect and <laughs> trade them, which is exactly what they don't want in kennet
1: Yeah, exactly. The others in Kennet don't care about Call of Duty or Grand Theft Auto, they're much more worried about Pokemon affecting the kids.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um So next, the kentis head to the fairy cave and start their peaceful and not at all bait conversations with uh, God Gillum and Marisica. We're going to pronounce so, it as I, I think. I think
1: it's I think it's Gillumay, Gillumay, Marisica, Gillumay
0: and Marisica. I'm, and Marisica.
1: I'm, I'm much more confident about Marisica. Yeah.
0: Look, let's um, just say I'm glad I'm not doing the pale audio bec- uh, book chapters for this one. I'll tell you that much. <laughs>
1: um yeah actually i don't think we've ever plugged uh we both did some readings for the pale audiobook actually um ruben did a much bigger one than me
0: i did the um the gabe's interlude so if you want to hear me attempt to sing horrifying songs check out that (laughs) audiobook chapter
1: uh yes and then i also did a bonus bit that was like five minutes long but it was a bit of fun um but anyway um yeah that i i just want to call attention to the fact that there's a bit here as they're getting to the fairy cave where Verona turns her sight off and is like, wow, the sky is so blue and leaves are so green. And then about a minute later, she just switches it back on and it comes on like so quickly that she's like, wow, that was like, I think before mm. I even finished having the thought that I wanted it on. So like just <sighs> all this stuff about, you know, like Operation Verabba, Um, it, I mean, yeah. it seems to be coming along very it's well. It's creeping
0: up. Yeah, exactly. Um. I wonder if there's, you know, the world is especially bright and beautiful because they're at the fairy cave, or if it's just that she's kind of losing color from the world as she becomes less human.
1: That would be my guess. Like the whole, you know, we kind of see how even the happier others like John and Alpi, they live these kind of routine lives yeah so that you you could see that there's sort of a metaphor for a bit of the vibrancy of the world being lost or something
0: yeah true you're like agency and and uniqueness as a human kind of uh disconnected from
1: yeah yeah exactly
0: um yeah
1: um yeah anyway and so then i guess we're going to move into the fairy talk which um yes there's a, i feel like there's an expectation that when people come and listen to a podcast like this there'll be a sense of we've read the chapters twice and.
0: We're going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. We
1: we have an idea of what's going on. So let's just set the record straight. We're about to dive into a fairy conversation. We have no fucking clue what's going on. Like, yeah. even if we try to go galaxy brain with it, we're operating at a level far below the fairy and wild bow I've, I've learned.
0: Yeah. I think we've, you know, we've picked out some interesting bits and pieces and there were some interesting Reddit comments and comments and stuff like that, that were picking out potential traps and stuff. But this conversation is basically designed to be a puzzle and one that is going to continue to unravel (laughs) over the course of the story. Um, I don't think we're going to give you all the answers. Sorry to say, but let's just get that out now.
1: yeah not saying that we hundred percent hit that mark in the rest of the story either, but especially this part we're not gonna do it.
0: Well, no, every other prediction we've made, I think is gonna be hundred percent true, just this part is too difficult. oh yeah to especially
1: predict. all your very reasonable ones that you keep making absolutely
0: yeah, um, I mean I think I think they're very reasonable but really. <laughs> and I'm sure well, Bo will too um anywho, <laughs> let's continue. <laughs> Uh, so the first thing I want to talk about here is uh, Marisica's wings are so long that they drape behind her like a gown. And that's crazy to me. Like, I, even when we were told this, when someone's described as having wings, I, and even like bat wings, I'm picturing them like patterned moth or bat wings. They don't drape. Like, it's crazy how big these wings must be. <laughs> Later on, I think it's in 2.3, we get a picture of Marisica and her wings are basically so big that they could fill the entire cave, which is insanity.
1: Yeah, I, I almost get the impression that like, because there's a there's a couple of lines where they talk about how like the way she flies when she dodges, uh, Gilamay's, like attempts to stab her in the air. Um, mm. like when she does that, it it doesn't look like she's moving in a real way. So, like, I wonder how real these wings are like you know obviously she's got the spider face under her form so maybe this whole form is like a kind of glamour like it's all fake in which case like the wings yeah maybe you know they do like i think it said they like change size and stuff so i think it was maybe all part of like her being good at glamour is that something she can do with it
0: yeah just kind of present a completely false reality of what she looks like
1: yeah, like, you know, if, if Verona can be a mink that has a human enough brain to talk, I don't see why Marisica can't have wings that don't make sense in space-time, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I can buy that. Um. Yeah, yeah, I can buy that.
1: I mean, her her whole form is just so, like, we've just been talking about how, like, the fae are these embodiments of, like, you know, the 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 other playing chess for thousands of years, so they're way better than you. And you really start to feel that, like, her wings have these patterns in them and, and both Avery in the next chapter and Verona in this chapter keep looking at the patterns and being like, oh, there's just something interesting about them. And it feels like that sci-fi trope where, like, you see a pattern and, and turn into, like, a murderous psycho or something. Like, yeah, there's part of me that thinks that these patterns are planting subliminal Some ideas. Some kind of
0: Rorschach test yeah. thing. yeah.
1: But then, like, also part of me thinks, that sounds like kind of bullshit. That's so Machiavellian. But also, like, maybe that's the point. Maybe they're just like, I'll show them the patterns and then they're going to think the patterns are doing something, but they're not. But them thinking that the patterns are doing something is going to make them do blah, blah, blah. Like, and, and that's just the fairy, just like, <laughs> this is why there's a whole thing. I'm just not going to play the fairy's fucking game because I can't. There's too many levels.
0: Yeah. I feel like the whole thing is about these small, like, edges and advantages that they get in encounters that they can then capitalize on, right? Like, we get an explicit example of this when. Ah, uh, Gilome and Mariska are discussing a, an interaction they've had in the past, where Mariska was kind of baited into making this one move that would set her up to have a, a, these lingering consequences. Right? Um,
1: yeah, it's like he spent months attacking her in a specific way so that she would be like subliminally, yeah, subliminally, fuck it, you know what I mean? Um, trained to, uh, like m- react in a certain way to one of his attacks. So that he could use that to make her do a certain thing at a certain time. It's just yes. like it's so it's such a high level like play.
0: I feel like that's the level we're operating on here, right? Like so many bits and webs and drabs of like gaining small incremental advantages over other people, and then hopefully capitalizing on them. So yeah. you know the fact that um, Mariska is almost always naked. It means that in order for uh, Avery to look at her without being embarrassed, she she's looking at these patterns. Potentially these patterns are suggesting something that then is like, so we're like three steps down the chain already <laughs> yeah. and already it's like, okay, it's this tiny little advantage that you'll get from this three or four step or more chain of, of sequences.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right.
0: Um, we'll only have to see though, right? Um, I, I do really love the dynamic that these two fairy have because it it's obviously uh, Gilgamesh is like playing the hero here and Marisica is playing the villain kind of to them yeah um, but then this also 100% feels like a trap where <laughs> yeah. Marisica is meant to be set up as the enemy in air quotes and Gilgamesh is their ally and that's the impression that Vren gets this is a trap and I 100% agree with it that Gilgamesh is is playing into this and playing off of their seemingly uh, acceptance and trust of John in order to establish more trust than he has earned and potentially bank that later
1: yeah yeah I agree he he's the one who tends to provide more helpful answers and it's just like yeah this is just the state we're at where I'm like that's suspicious he's being almost helpful but not yes. quite too helpful it's still believably unhelpful um yeah no no so I'm not I'm not playing this game because I will lose like yeah, okay, all
0: right. Let's not go too deep on it. Um,
1: I, I think there is, like, the fun thing, though, like because they, they set up that rivalry about how it's, like, Gilamay's home and Marisica's just, like, this interloper who he can't get to leave. Yeah. And that's kind of all gone next chapter. Like, mm. you know, in terms of if we're talking about them working together, it kind of seems like once this dynamic has been established, they, they just kind of stop doing it and the Kenneteers don't notice.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's, I don't know, it's not enough to to solidly put our finger on it as a trap i don't think but you're right um the other one i want to call out quickly is there's this one bit where lucy asks specifically if they're enemies which would answer this question and gilome's response is a question of courts and houses. I'm of the summer court and obviously just not answering the question. Right? <laughs> and it's like yeah. doing it in a way that baits Verona and us as the audience with some juicy law that we want to dive down. So we conveniently <laughs> forget that we had a question about are these two enemies or not? Um, yeah. Which implies to me that they're not, that they're working together in this.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting you say that. Cause like, I, I, I agree. There are probably like, a dozen instances in this conversation where you can see the candidate's ask them a question and they manage to not actually answer it. And, and it's like, there's that part of me that wants to say, that doesn't mean they're conspiring. It's just, you know, that's their nature. They're these indirect fairy, right? They're the opposite of the blunt goblins. So they just never answer questions directly. That's their nature. It doesn't mean they're scheming. Mm. But then also for everything we've told about that makes me think that actually they are always scheming. So it's like those two things just aren't separate for them like yes. so like, i i i don't i don't know i don't know the the fairy make me so paranoid and i love it
2: <laughs>
0: yeah they're pretty fun aren't they to deal with um so what else what else uh there's bits where i mean the, Mariska feels like she's manipulating the conversation the whole way through she's playing off their the gifts there's one part where lucy like a few times lucy tries to be more blunt and it kind of half works but Mariska often We'll do a little trick to bring the conversation back around to where she wants it to be. All kinds of like manipulative bits and pieces.
1: Yeah, but I think it's interesting because um, when you read the conversation more closely with this idea in mind, you can see how the more blunt Lucy is, the more the topic of conversation does change. Like up until yes. this point, because when Lucy brings up this question that you, that you mentioned here. They're talking about the various fake courts, and Lucy just kind of bluntly says, "You don't like each other, whatever. We need to take a, talk about more serious things." And then the conversation ha- like is pivoted by Lucy to, to a to a, yeah. to a new topic. Whereas there's another time where Lucy's kind of like, "Can we please talk about something else?" And gets like nothing out of them. Yeah. It's like because she was like a bit politer, it, it didn't seem it, to work yes. as well.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. So really that, like, like that. I, there's almost
1: something to say for trying to be like a goblin against these guys and just be like look, shut the fuck up. Like, I think there actually, there's a, there's one bit where Lucy manages to get Marisica to shut up and it's when she just kind of directly tells her to shut up. Mm. So it's like, that. that's when you get power over these fairies, when you're just like rude to them.
0: I mean, yeah. Tracks with what Mrs. Warnings were, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and then obviously like we get from Marisica and, and Gilamay here like a bunch of details on the seven courts of the fairy, which are just like super mm. fascinating. There's... There's um there's like there's like two categories of of court there's like these the high ones and like the dark or the low ones and then from there they go into seasons and I just love this as a as a way to divide the uh, like the fae up and kind of explore like the, I think Guillermo talks about the origin of the fairy and you know they're all kind of different types of monsters but there's this underlying theme of like you know, they seem to are originate from something to do with lies and and glamour, yeah. And and so you've sort of got this embodiment of lies thing, and also you know their their whole thing about how they're kind of bored is is the other thing they bring up. Like they're trying to find ways to entertain themselves, and that's what the courts are. Yeah, and, and you can kind of see now, like these courts are divided. Like the higher courts, I think, seem to lean more in towards humanity. Mm. um like you know it's all the it's all the fair and and aristocratic ones that you know you know yeah lean into the human sides of themselves and then you've got these dark ones which are moving away from humanity and becoming monstrous and then within that you've got seasons like summer is like stories and and brightness and stuff and the spring ones are like you know the the new change and then the fall ones are like you know the real twisting of change and stuff it's 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 such a fun way to categorize them and then you get like winter which is my favorite as this kind of seventh one and there's no high or full one it's just it's like the fairy version of death where they just become autom- automatons
0: yeah they they basically are they've become so you know stuck in their routines and dramas that they are just living out repetitive bits and pieces
1: yeah they become stuck and unchanging
0: um as i was reading this it felt like I it felt like a trap. You know how um it, it 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 reminded me of the idea that they're trying to set themselves up like they're trying to differentiate Gilmore as not just here to trick people and cause like confusion and and play off of the drama. It sounded like what this they were both playing into this idea of Mariska is one type of thing that's like oh monstrous evil spooky fairy kids naps but, children exactly but yep. Gilerme, oh i'm a high summer what was it uh a summer, summer above. above a summer above fairy and so i don't descend to that level kind of vibe
1: yeah well he makes his his like whole court the summer above out to it kind of reminded me of like greek hero type stuff like, Yeah. it's all like you know big swords you know big drinks big you know big adventure and it's like yeah okay but like if you if you read greek myths that that doesn't make them good people
0: yeah um i think it's another level of trap of like believe that guillemay is good and on your team by by like thinking that oh he's a a summer above fairy he's not gonna be doing the kinds of shit that he's actually yes gonna do (laughs) to fuck you over
1: yeah 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 um, but I don't know. I just, I just love this whole idea of having seven courts to kind of divide up. Like, I like, I'm very interested to, to see what the differences are between the courts and kind yeah. of because like, I, I feel like the fairy as a concept are going to be exploring. Yeah, this whole idea of you know lying and being bored and how you, how you get around like you know the eternal boredom of immortality and there's all these different techniques and I'm kind of interested to see how they compare.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess the thing that I'm the most worried about with these fairy now is we've learned that, uh, the court that Mariska is a part of is kind of known for kidnapping children mm-hmm. and, uh, Gil-a-may makes reference to the fact that these three are children <laughs> and the title of this arc is stolen away. And so putting all those pieces together, it's just kind of like, huh, well, this is a bad scene. <laughs> Whatever's going to happen here
1: yeah you can't help but put those pieces together, can you um yeah I mean, I guess we'll see i mean the other hint we start to get in two point three is that we're going on a on a trip down some some paths trip down the paths uh, yeah seems like it'd be easy to get uh, stolen away down on those as well
0: yep um yeah, uh, so I guess the next thing that happens in this conversation is we get to um we get to Mariska. Giving gifts. We get to the gifts. She's obsessed with these gifts and she decides <laughs> she's going to give nine gifts to the, to the Kennetiers, uh, three gifts to each of them. One trick, one illusion, and one, what was the third Sorry, one? Sorry, no, it's,
1: it's one, in, one, instruction, one instruction, one trick, and one, trick, one, one glamour. Yeah. glamour. yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's probably illusion. Yeah. Um, I mean, just, just, just before we get into those as well, like I just like marissa is obviously evil and the worst and stuff but fuck is she fun like yeah all this all this stuff where lucy's like okay but what can we can we get back to the serious business and the marissa will be like yes the gifts and she's <laughs> so, like performative like she's always pacing around and she's like you know i will give you three gifts three um you know verona and like it's so she's so theatrical and like you know, talking about how the fairy are trying to stave off boredom. I mean, Mariska's doing a great job, I think, because she's fucking fun as, like, in the worst way. Like, I'm glad I'm on this side of the page uh, (laughs) when when I'm reading it, because I wouldn't want to meet a fairy in person, but fuck, they're fun to read. Yeah.
0: um, God, the whole thing is so delightful, isn't it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, I just, I love, like, the fairy drive you crazy, but I have so so much fun at the same time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, Should we get into these gifts?
1: Yeah, I actually sort of wrote them all down because, and I think this is you know intentional on Wildbow and Marissa's part, but like I struggled to keep up with what all nine gifts were. Yeah. Um. So Verona gets some some extra info on like how to use the rule of three to make contracts more yours, Uh, and then Lucy and also kind of Avery get told that uh, the reason they were chosen was because they're all already becoming a bit other. Yeah. Which, um, I mean, yeah, like that was, that was probably one of the more fascinating tidbits that we get.
0: Yeah. I mean, we had kind of been putting, starting to put this together ourselves, right? The fact that they're, they all have their own kind of vulnerabilities in this way. Um, but explicitly that this was an explicit decision made to find three people who are likely to turn into others given the opportunity is, um, yeah, not great. Not a great sign for the relationship <laughs> between them and Miss and Edith and stuff.
1: Well, especially because it gives this sense of this is a path you're already on and the Kennet others are basically making sure that that happens to give themselves some protection. Yep. Um. um yeah, yeah, if you have
0: to indoctrinate new practitioners, indoctrinate ones that are going to turn into others and then yeah. not have any potential for power over you.
1: But it's that sort of thing where they may not have become others. It was just they were, you know, maybe heading in that direction.
0: Yeah, but with that in mind, these gifts that Miss has been giving or all these things that have been pushing them further down this path become a lot more insidious, right? Like it's not just, oh, now that I've met you, I'm going to help you do the thing that you said you want to do. It's we explicitly chose you because we could manipulate you into becoming others and therefore (laughs) less of a threat to us.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I'd love to start to try and trying to dig into theorizing what others we think they might turn into. Like, um I'm actually pretty convinced like the more we see of the Fae and the way they interact with Verona, the more very concerned I am that she would actually be a pretty good fairy given given the time.
0: Interesting. Well, Verona's already gonna become Miss, so that's ruled out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh good point, good point. I forgot about that very confirmed theory. Yeah. Um, um, and, and, and obviously, like, there's the whole angle of here as well where Avery kind of learns that there's no one for her, according to Marisica in town. Yeah. Which is sort of earth-shattering for Avery. Um, But also, like, you're kind of like, well, yeah, but, I mean, you can just leave town when you're 13 and you only have to come back here occasionally. Like, yeah, a- as an adult, you're kind of like, oh, you'll get over it. It's a few years. Uh, but you can see, like, how for Avery that's, like, devastating. And, uh, I mean, we'll get to her response to this uh, next chapter
0: i mean this is the thing right this is a manipulation this was my thought when i first read this chapter and then seeing what happens in the next chapter it's like oh this is what marissa wanted to set up this dynamic where avery is now dependent on the glamour so that she can have some semblance of i don't know a relationship with the people that she wants to have relationships with
1: yeah yeah exactly um then they each get like their tricks are like little seemingly one use items that let yep. them you know make copies of stuff or make a fake version of of a thing or um you know kind of like a flashbang uh again I kind of but notice Lucy gets the more violent oriented um gift like hers is like the combat one like the the blinding and she got the the, the ring like there's so Whoa. much violent violent imagery in her like it can't be a coincidence that she's the one who's so into finding what happened to the carmine beast right like Mm. there's some link between her and the essence of the carmine beast i think
0: maybe lucy did kill the carmine beast maybe that's what's happening (laughs) (laughs) no um i yes i agree i yeah again like they're being pushed down a path and it seems like the path lucy is being pushed down is becoming a john-esque other i don't know exactly what yeah something um,
1: something that would have been in the carmine beast's order right like, Yeah, is is the impression i'm getting that was the direction she was maybe heading down
0: yes for sure um so i guess this chapter ends with uh verona being given her glamour um yep which is being turned into a weasel or a mink i guess um, yeah and what an ending to the chapter like <laughs> it's so good it's it again is reaffirming this beat of these three just not taking the threats in their life seriously enough. And This one's fine because I actually, the way this plays out, I actually feel like Mariska not acting in bad faith. She's being quite a good faith actor, actor here. Um, and so again, it's fine in this situation, but I'm pretty sure it's going to soon not be fine
1: yeah there's this sense of like i think miss said the fairy would be the best ones to teach them like the potential loopholes and and stuff like contracts like yes they would be the best ones to teach you to teach to teach you like how to manage contracts and everything and in, you know in an indirect way that's what marissa Cruz is doing by constantly fucking them over in long-term harmless ways like you know it's like you know the fairy can't just directly teach you things they have to fucking toy with you but you're kind of going to learn the lesson um that's about as good as it's going to get for a fairy lesson, I think.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, the fact that they they aren't seemingly at risk of any long-term problems indicates that this is probably exactly what they need to start getting their head around this this stuff a bit more.
1: Yeah, well, and they do a lot better when we get to negotiating uh, Avery's glimmering in a bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, that, so that's the one thing. So there's the, the supposed nine gifts. They get eight of them by the time we reach the end of our Uh, Chapter two point three, Lucy still has not received her glamour, so that's um that's a bomb waiting to go off, I suppose.
0: What would be a potentially usable for to do violence glamour that you reckon Mariska would give Lucy (laughs) as a trap?
1: I don't fucking know.
0: It's hard to predict, isn't it? I don't know if I want
1: to try and predict the fairy. Yeah, (laughs) it's on
0: another (laughs) level. You just can't understand them. Yeah. Yep. Um. Anyway, chapter two point three. Yeah. So we'll jump into two point three, which begins with um, Avery kind of seeing we're in Avery's head and she's watching Verona Weasel kind of coming to term with it, terms with its new form as Lucy tries to um, catch it and alternates between trying <laughs> to catch it and like yelling at Marissa for help.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to talk about the Lucy stuff here because it's it's kind of this ongoing background thread throughout this whole first section. Yeah, So it's hard to find the best time. So I just want to do it at the start because it's, it's obviously, like, you're, you're kind of like, oh, you know, she's so upset and, and she cares so much and that's kind of heartbreaking. But also, it's just kind of hilarious. Like, Mariska just keeps shit-stirring her um, yep. with, like, you know, talking about, like, you know, Verona being eaten if she goes outside and stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, like, there's so many things where Marissa will go on this long speech and then it just ends with, like, Lucy just yelling out the most offensive word in that thing of, like, what do you mean edible? Um, yeah, and then like Guillaume says something, and Mariska's just like, "Oh, Guillaume, you know, you're just upsetting the poor girl." <laughs> it's like, fuck <laughs> <Yeah. break> off! <laughs> oh god, as if you That's haven't so been doing good. the same thing for the last ten minutes. Like, so yeah, like I, it, it was just a hilariously tortured, tortured dynamic between Lucy and Mariska, and I feel like it culminates so well. To jump ahead a bit, like how eventually Lucy's like, "How do I break the glamour?" And Guillaume's like, "Oh." want forceful to it so she just pegs verona at the ground yeah and it works and then, yeah verona kind of pops out she's like ah, ow and lucy's just like oh, f- fuck off like yeah it's so good i love the dynamic these three have so much
0: it's good isn't it um i really like uh they kind of realized that and lucy kind of realizes that if you change someone's form and therefore change their brain deals you make around things like you can't stop me from having a happy life are kind of nothing because if you can change someone's brain so that they're happy with what would be a terrible life then you're satisfying the requirements of that of that bargain so it's there's they've been exposed to a whole new set of loopholes that they hadn't really been considering which is good because they're going to need to uh, be exposed to these kinds of things so they stop making these same mistakes
1: yeah, you kind of need to be like, you can't put me in something I would currently consider to be unhappy or something like it's Yeah,
0: I, I would use the wording, you can't do anything that I would regard as negative in my current frame of mind.
1: Yeah, but then that opens up, because they're 13-year-olds, like, you know, that that opens up, like, a whole other set of things, where they're going to be different people by the time they're 40. Yeah, um, I mean,
0: they say something like this to Mariska later on in this chapter, and her response is like, I mean, I'll agree to that for today, I don't know, what the yeah. fuck you're going to think later
1: on. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and, uh, but yeah, you're right, it's that whole thing where, like, again, I do think that Mariska and Gilamay are actually teaching them some invaluable lessons, just not in the most peaceful way. It's like the fairy like, we will yeah, okay, yeah. We'll, we'll teach you, but we're going to fuck with you to do it. Uh, yeah. just in a hopefully not as harmful as possible way.
0: Well, I think the, the fucking with them that we see here is intentionally to teach them stuff. Right. There are yeah. presumably other manipulations going on that aren't to teach them stuff, but, uh, at least in the, the, the tricks that we find out about so far, they're being pretty on the level. So that's good.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure it will remain that way.
0: Yeah. Um, so what do we think the significance of a mink is here? I, I kind of, you know, when we find out that it's this weaselly thing, I'm trying to, I was trying to think, why is this the form that, that, uh, uh that Mariska puts a, in, uh, Avery into? And really the only thing I think of was kind of an eagerness to escape, which mirrors uh, Verona's desire to, you know, leave behind her current life, I suppose. But I'm curious yeah. whether you have any additional thoughts than that. feels like there I, should be more to it.
1: I do. I did the Googling. Um, nice. Good on you. And, and so for those who don't know, like Northern Native American cultures, like a lot of them had this concept of totem animals, which is similar-ish to what you sort of hear when you or sort of think when you hear like spirit animal, like in Hollywood and stuff. Like again, as an Australian, uh, most of my knowledge of North American cultures is very indirect. Um but basically this whole idea of totem and and spirit animals is that like animals have these symbols and meanings associated with them and you know you're meant to use those to to guide your life and stuff in in the actual cultures um but it's just kind of interesting here to look at like how what what imagery surrounds the mink and like Verona's tapping into it um so what i sort of found like the general consensus from from some websites was like minks are really playful um and the that basically the main thing their totem energy seems to be associated with, that I found was like this whole idea of they don't thrive in impoverished environments. Um, but it was made clear in most things, impoverished doesn't mean like you know necessarily poor of resources. Like specifically, one of the things that comes up is this idea of like um you know environments that are like limiting you or making you bored. Um, which I think like speaks a lot more yeah. to sort of you know Verona's home life. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Um. And so, like it, a, a lot of these totem things, like it comes back to what how the animal actually lives. So, like for minks, some some of the inspiration for that meaning in the totem system is you know they actually live in like they're they're very territorial. So each mink will have its own sort of territory that it controls, and and they're they're quite controlling about it. So you know, kind of links to Verona's idea of like the gardens she starts to talk about here. Um, but like the the little aside that that really sealed some of the deal here for me was um. One of the other things it mentions is that minks are solitary mm. and they they do meet up and like, you know, have sex during the mating season, but then they just go back to living in their own territories.
0: Which is exactly um, what yeah <laughs> the described their ideal situation would be, huh?
1: Exactly. Like, I, that was one of those moments where I was just like, well, but such a fucking genius. Um, I mean, the other, the downside to this uh, that some of them sort of talk about is like minks, um. They're actually very sought after for their fur, like, you mm-hmm. know, hunters and stuff. Like, they, they you know, they were hunted a lot for their fur. So they're, they're a bit of a target, which, you know, just has me worried in the context of the Fae. Like, is this, I, I'm worried, I, I'm, as, a, as I said, I'm very worried that Verona is specifically being targeted by the Fae, perhaps to maybe eventually turn into one. Or, I, I don't know, maybe they won't let it get that far. Whatever. Yeah, very nervous for Verona. Mm. but it was yeah. Really cool. like yeah there was actually a lot to mine in terms of linking minx to verona which is so cool like there's there's always so much thought put into little details like this
0: um yeah it's the exact kind of thing where bobbo picks these things for a number of reasons that become clear as we learn more um yeah god yeah that's good that's a lot of good stuff um yeah mink verona does eventually regain enough of her senses to be able to talk while in mink form And it's adorable. She's really digging it. Um, Of course,
1: of course, she is. Though, like, (laughs) weren't you just like when she first got the ability to speak again? And she's like, "I like this." Weren't you just sort of like, "Ah, fucking, of course you do." Yeah,
0: (laughs) she's not even slightly upset with Mariska that she was turned into a mink. She's just like hundred percent on board with it as soon as she's back, which is an insane thing for her to be thinking.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's but it's just it's just so her. I never doubted it for a second.
0: Yeah. God. Um, also apparently Alpi lives in the same cave, which means that this is now a great idea for a sitcom. It's called Two and a Half Fae, and it's about, uh, these two fairies and the one, a half fairy, which I guess a nightmare kind of counts as, (laughs) that live in this cave and hang out
1: together. I mean, I'd, I'd watch it.
0: Yeah, I'd watch it. So get on it, Wildbo.
1: Um, actually, and, and speaking of like, you know, oh, that's so Verona that she'd be okay with, with being turned into a mink. Um. Avery and Al- Alpi sure hit it off.
0: Yep. Uh, the crush that Avery 100% has on Alpi is great. It, <laughs> I love it. Um, Alpi is probably my favorite of the others in Kennet at this point. Uh, she's genuinely such a delight every time she enters a story, and it makes me worried that she's going to be the most evil in actuality, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, because I definitely... I'm, like, wary of the fact that we're seeing her next to the fairy, which just would make everyone yeah. seem trustworthy. Yeah. Um, But I can't help but just think she's so on the level. I don't yeah. know what it is, but, like, even the last time we saw her with Lucy, she just seemed genuine. And there's yeah. just something about the way she is here as well. I just trust her. And, like, I'm ignoring all the other signs, like, you know, the way Marcy's like, oh, Alpi should help you when you go on your travels. And it's like, okay, well, if Marcy's suggesting it, I don't trust it, but like, I'm, I'm just putting all that aside and just, I'm just going to go all in on Alpi's great and it's fine.
0: Yeah. Um, I think the bit that really clinches it for me that makes Alpi seem so trustworthy is there's this one moment where she kind of puts her foot in her mouth and offends Lucy by making reference to giving a, a girl dreams of her dad dying, which presumably hits a nerve for Lucy who has an absent father that we don't fully know the story of.
1: Um, well, I, I mean, I think there's an implication here that Lucy's father has, has passed.
0: Yes, I think so. Um, so that obviously hits home for Lucy and she reacts and Alpi immediately seems genuinely apologetic and remorseful that she's yeah. accidentally made this gaffe without uh, like realizing it.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like she she seems, yeah, you're right. There's That moment just sort of makes you think, oh, well, she didn't mean it. Um, and she doesn't, nothing has led us to believe that she's as, you know, good an actor as the Fae might be.
0: Exactly.
1: So, yeah. Um, I, and I mean, like maybe part of that, like something that's really interesting here is like the way we, we weren't Alpi's backstory and, you know, she was once like a human girl who just kind of like fell through the cracks a bit and and Mm. became this, this sort of other, um, as her family kind of forgot about her and like. I mean, you know, her and Avery really connect on this point because um, it, it's not that different to what Avery was going through. And, you know, if we're spitballing what types of other the, the Kennedys were heading towards becoming, yeah, like this is maybe the, the realm of possibilities for Avery because um, it kind of seemed like that's where she was heading.
0: Yeah, I mean, Alpi makes offers for the rest of them to escort her on her rounds. Maybe we will see Avery do just that and become an yeah. uh, apprentice nightmare.
1: Well, what's interesting is like Avery had this sense of she she wasn't telling people they were actually special. Like uh, like Alby's whole thing was that you know she started waking people up and apparently just sort of started to turn into an other because she got real good at it and everyone was forgetting from uh, forgetting about her. Apart from that, which is like mm. fucking nightmarish to think about. Um, yeah, and you, but you just kind of wonder like Avery's whole thing was that you know she didn't think people were getting enough credit for being who they. Worse, I don't know what kind of other that turns you into, but you know, like someone who sneaks around and uh, wait, maybe she was going to be a cupid or something, you know?
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, God, I mean, she kind of
1: does that—some kind of matchmaker.
0: Yeah, maybe that's her. Maybe this is what going to be what she does. She goes around, you know, restoring self esteem of people that she likes by pretending to be cute boys. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I was more thinking, she yeah, she was just gonna play like a matchmaker or something, but like yeah, your idea is certainly where she heads in this chapter <laughs> in this
0: chapter, yeah um, the other thing is Alpi doesn't try and hide her monstrous nature at all, right, like true, she's true. she gives this like it's the circle of life kind of vibe
1: <laughs> it's cosmological isn't it um, yeah, exactly oh, I fucking love that line, that's my new catchphrase um. But yeah, you're right. She's just kind of upfront about the bad things she does as well as the good things, which makes her just seem so much more trustworthy.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, we'll see. Um, So, okay, here's the juicy lore that Albie drops as well, which is fucking juicy (laughs) as hell. Uh, We learn about these kind of alternate spaces that exist. Um, And so there's the Abyss, there's the Fairy Court, there's the Warrens, there's the Ruins... Uh, and the paths and the paths are the ones that we're going to talk about uh, in a little bit. And they're the ones that we only, they're the only ones we really get anything concrete on. Um, yeah. And we'll talk about that when we get to the bonus bits, but God damn, this is a just great little world building. I'm so excited to find out more about these old alt, alt spaces that we're going to see.
1: Uh, yeah. This is the coolest shit. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. I'll save, I'll save my comments until we get to the, to the, uh bonus material because it goes into it a lot more but um i'm also just fascinated with Alpi with this idea that she like just has an instinct like she you know she talks about how she doesn't have a boss she just kind of follows her instincts which i'm assuming are like the spirits and the spirits are just kind of like oh there's a wrinkle over there can you go give someone a nightmare to sort it out like
0: you know what it reminded me of it reminded me of Dirk Gently's holistic detective agency yes (laughs) Where she's just one of these primal forces (laughs) that goes around doing (laughs) primal force things
1: yeah that's a really good comparison Um, but it just it it also begs questions like why is the universe so wrinkled like yeah true do you, like, uh, uh, the other thing I was thinking is, like, is this karma? Like, is, is part of this to, like, is this associated with the karma stuff Charles was talking about? Like, mm. I wonder if Alpi pays Charles regular visits to give, him, give him nightmares. nightmares, he's nightmares.
0: karma. <laughs> that would be so funny. One of her regular customers is she goes and yeah, exactly. gives shitty dreams to Charles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, classic. I hope that's true.
1: I'm, I'm going to headcanon it until proven otherwise, I think.
0: Yeah. Um... Yeah. Yeah. So uh this kind of ends the the first scene with the Fae and we follow Avery. She goes back home Ooh. and she has an interaction with uh her family and with Grumble before she decides to head back to the Fae.
1: Yeah um i i love how this is set up like before they leave there's like a moment where they're all just sort of leaving and avery's like oh i don't know if i want to come back thank you very much and then marissa sort of fucking teleports over and whispers in her ear for a second and from that point she's like yeah i'm gonna come yeah, back i'm
0: coming back yeah and exactly. she's just like oh
1: fuck no like are you yeah. serious we don't
0: find out what it is there's a lot of this um you know us not knowing exactly what's going on until the end of the chapter and then the chapter yeah. ends with another one as well but um it pays off so effectively here um yeah we'll get to that in a bit first let's talk about grumble an interesting character we finally get a bit more of a spotlight on him um and i wanted to bring out a 100 true theory that was left by discord user uh sylph
1: okay yeah um, i think i know where this is going and this
0: theory is that grumble killed the carmine beast and there's a <laughs> lot of evidence for this it really stacks up when you start to think about it one he's very suspicious Two, the stroke okay. that he had is almost certainly magical. Why not? It can't prove it's not. And three, in <laughs> with its dying breath, the carmine beast went to the hockey arena where Avery was almost certainly playing a game. Why would the carmine beast go there to find the person who killed it? Who was there watching their granddaughter play hockey? It all just adds up. And so I'll I'm gonna just preemptively call this confirmed.
1: Um. I honestly the only thing that I have to say against this um and I hate that there's only one thing is that um in this chapter Grumble mentions that her, or he mentions her soccer team mm. but she doesn't play soccer so I don't think he actually does go and watch her Well um,
0: he's old and his brain has been you know hurt by many many years of practicing so
1: I don't know I'm torn between telling you not to encourage this behavior from Silfrina or trying to tell Silphrina not to encourage this behaviour from you, I think you're just both bad influences on each other.
0: Yep, I'll accept that. I'll <laughs> accept that. I think.
1: Um, but yeah, I I mean, again, wait, this conversation with Grumble definitely does set up. Like, you know, he's he's trying to be sweet and he's trying to be nice, and and it's gone real well. And then he just makes that comment about Avery meeting a, a man and having children, mm. and you can just see how that sort of is that final nudge. I think she needed to go ahead with what the second half of this chapter is
0: yep uh it just doesn't i mean it yeah there there have been moments of kind of thinking you know it doesn't seem like she's she's obviously not out to her family but it seems like there's a bit of a wink nudge thing going on with grumble and this kind of confirms that that isn't true to the extent that he knows that she's gay um yeah which is a bit heartbreaking (laughs) like it means she's got nobody in her family that is fully you know fully there with her.
1: Yeah, well, that comment just sort of. This is the part where it's like she starts to actually connect with her family a bit, which you think might make her change her mind or something, and it that just sort of becomes the final wedge that stops that from happening.
0: Yeah. <sighs> um. So. Uh. Yeah. They They head back, and um. They They're talking about the glamour gift here. Um. And it's good that they set up some more ground rules so that Maristica can't completely fuck with uh with avery as she did verona that's nice
1: <laughs> yeah i mean as we said maybe they're learning a bit like through these through through operating with the fairy um i mean again i think there's there's still loopholes here there, there probably always will be yeah um definite improvements like, to be made again while i'm while i'm banging this drum about verona feeling kind of fey to me wait am i the only one who felt like she was a really bad influence on avery during this whole section like she's still treating this whole thing like a bit of a game and like it's fun. Mm. Like it's very Verona but you know there's like like as Avery's undergoing this transformation there's all this stuff where like Verona's just like oh you know just go out there and have fun and um she's kind of laughing and joking about the whole thing when Avery comes back at the end and like Avery's falling apart inside as this is happening like she she's she's so conflicted about what she's going through Verona's just like ha that was awesome.
0: Yeah great work you used magic for a very potentially ethically gray not even i don't think it's that gray. definitely <laughs> ethically gray if not just outright wrong um, I think it's pretty black yes uh verona just does not give a shit and that's great
1: <laughs> yeah yeah like yeah I, I, again like i was just like i'm like verona you know i love you but get your shit together like this is not this is not okay White. Like, yeah yeah i don't know so again i'm just like the more that they're hanging out with the fae the more i kind of feel like verona just seems to be on their wavelength a bit and that's just very concerning to me
0: yep yes it is um so yeah let's talk about it so basically what they do is avery learns how to use glamour to make herself look like a boy before she goes off to flirt and then kiss pamela
1: yeah and, and and so there's this sort of thing that Avery does where she frames it as, I'm doing this just for Pam to give her yeah. the, the confidence boost I regret not giving her months ago. Yep. And, I mean, that's that's true, but also, like, there's definitely a part of Avery that wanted this, and there's also, like, I think a bigger part of her that didn't, and that's the part that wins out in the end. But, um, yeah, like, oh, the whole thing's just such a mess like this is this is really the one where you can feel the fae getting their claws in like they've just they've sort of put her in this situation and and you know now they're going to completely fuck her up with the emotional trauma she's going to have from doing this
0: yeah um the fact that this is a thing that she does makes me very worried because like okay she's 13 like whatever this is this is the kind of use of magic that i think is to be expected from a 13 year old at least until they kind of you know, and Avery does it, and as she's doing it, kind of realizes, well, this is kind of gross, right? Um, yeah, but it's totally ba- with coupled with the fact that Mariska has set up that there's no one for Avery to have a genuine connection with and relationship with in Kennet. Like it is just basically Mariska baiting Avery into becoming dependent on her to do this with glamour, right? Like that's that's pretty horrifying.
1: Yeah yeah um like it's just it it has me so worried because yeah she she sort of crosses some lines here and it, it, it's like you know it's a sort of lines like things like harry potter always had love potions like this and never really dealt with the seriousness of what was happening so yeah. I'm, I'm quite glad that like pale's sort of done a bit of it here and, and just made it very clear like avery is like this is not okay but she yeah she kind of got i don't want to say she got pressured into doing it because i don't think that's fully fair but it's sort yes. of like you know she got Tricked a little bit, or manipulated, manipulated into being a situation yeah. where she did it, and she feels terrible. And that's just, but she also thinks she kind of did a good thing for Pam. And you know, the chapter basically ends with her being like, "Yep, s- sign me up for for Guillaume's one." Like, I'm um, I'm all on board. And it's like, oh no,
0: yeah, who knows what that's even going to be? Um, something equally as troubling, possibly. I mean, not I, more I assume so.
1: Yeah. Um. But yeah, like, but yeah, I, like, I do, I do, I, do think we just sort of, yeah, need to call out like how, like, like this scene you can never really get into because the whole the whole scene feels dirty because Avery is constantly questioning what she's doing, like you can tell the whole time she's like I shouldn't be doing this. This feels like a lie. This feels wrong. Yeah, and and you know like it, there's even the bit where she sort of hurts Pam and then she turns it around and so she's like oh this was a good thing I did and it's like okay I don't know if you thought out the long term ramifications of this for Pam that she met a guy who liked her. And then that guy's going to have, like, completely disappeared, and then she's going to go back to having, like, a bunch of people who apparently, like, bully her and stuff. Um, like, this is just going to make her want to run away or something and get out of Kennet, you'd think. Um, like, yeah. But then, potentially,
0: if she does leave Kennet, then maybe she's the one for for Avery. (laughs) So maybe it'll all work out. (laughs) That's how that works, works, right?
1: Um... I love how that, just as a, a small detail that I actually missed, um, but got pointed out to me on on Twitter during my live read by Asgar Zygel. Um the glamour uh, starts to break at Avery, like across Avery's heart when yeah. she gets kissed, which I just thought was like really powerful imagery.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I really like that. Um, yeah, so that's the end of the. That's more or less where the chapter ends. It ends with them, you know, uh, leaving another mystery of what exactly is uh, Guillerme's present that uh, they apparently are going to use um something worrying i'm sure but we'll find that out next chapter i guess
1: yeah like i feel like we're going to start heading to these these paths soon with Alpi but are the fairy going to be involved in that bullshit too yeah we'll, we'll see we'll see
0: yeah um but for now uh let's continue on to spell notes number two which yeah. starts with us getting a few more notes on runes and their meanings.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't think I fully understand the first page of this still. Um, I spent a lot of time looking at it. Like, we get the light and the dark runes. Like, we get nicer looks at looks at them. Mm. Um, and there's some stuff down the bottom, which I think is sort of summarizing how, like, the way you decorate the central runes affects, like, the emphasis that's placed on them. Yeah. But there's this bit in the middle. um, that sort of talks about the, it it, it says something about degrees of emphasis and then it's like a bunch of alchemical symbols or they're labeled as alchemical symbols, but I don't quite understand what that bit is actually telling us about them. Mm. Like I I hope we get to see them in action soon in the story so I can start to actually realize what, what it means.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I like, I looked at this and I was like, okay, this is cool. I've taken a look at it. I've identified each of these things. And now I'm just going to remember that if those, you know, these specific words, right, come up, like struck out, what was it, struck out or something, um, then I'll come back and look at this and then this will be relevant to me. But for now, I can't really take anything from it.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's definitely part of that for me. I'm just trying to get, like, a little bit familiar with them, but there's definitely a sense of I can't wait for these to show up so we can actually, like, put it to use. I, I just, somebody needs to make, like, a video game or something. Like, um... What's that like? Scribble notes, but it's with mm. runes mm. in in pale. That would be so much fun.
0: That would be cool. That's true. Um,
1: anyway, I, okay. So yeah, just to finish up the the, the spell notes bit um, or the the runes part of it. Um, then there's like the second page, which yeah, I, again, like it also doesn't really suit the audio medium, so I'll skip over it. But there's like uh, you know all these extra advanced symbols, and we've already seen a few of them. Um, I'm a little mad about them because it's making me get familiar with astrology, so I'm I'm, I'm a little bit angry that I'm having to, you know, learn ast- and care about astrology now to understand these symbols. Um, but I like this idea that there's imperative symbols, which sort of tell the rune, this is when you need to do something, like this is how to activate. Mm. And then there are the referential ones, I think, which are like, you know, helping to tell the spirits how it's actually meant to work. mm like uh, it's just it's so cool how like advanced the rune system is already becoming and it's just like one part of this world
0: yeah um yeah it's a cool system for sure um and one that i'm uh yeah i mean yeah i may get to see these runes play into it more but for now i i don't really have anything to take away from them
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i agree i mean i think the the real shit in in this bonus bit for me yes. was absolutely the forest, the ribbon, forest trail. ribbon
0: trail instructions, which are what Miss gave to Avery. And it's basically a, an extended description of how to get to this forest ribbon trail and what to do when you're there. And it's bonkers.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like every other line is, if you don't do this exactly right, you will be lost. And yes. then there's an explanation for what lost is. And it's real bad. Yep. Why would you do this?
0: Yeah um again another kind of ritual where i'm like okay cool there are some cool like treasures that you can some cool magic items that you can get from this you can get yourself a plus two weapon you can get yourself some super bindings some whatever bits and pieces but it's very much like not not
1: worth it to me (laughs)
0: like i i would say to avery don't do it
1: yeah i I think the crazy part to me is the text. Sort of says this is a common first finder's path. <laughs> like, yeah. like this is this is the intro one, and I'm just looking at how dangerous it is. And it's like, if this is the fucking in- like who's who's doing this? Yeah, how do you what? Like the the prizes must be really solid, and we get some sort of descriptions on what the prizes are. And i like um, I don't know. i Maybe they're maybe I need to sit and think on them more. But like I was kind of like you know they better be you better be able to try and get a what out of this wolf
0: yeah i mean yeah we'll see i this is the thing i my thought was when we first found out about this when miss gave it to avery i was like oh it's you know 50 50 odds we'll actually see this in the story now that we have this it means we're almost certainly going to see it soon and i'm kind of terrified for it because there's so many things that could go wrong here right
1: yeah yeah well and especially like uh, it's something that marissa sets up that we already talked talked about briefly was um alpy's gonna come and help them out too which Reading this sounds like that's going to be hugely beneficial, uh, if she can yeah. make it to the path with them. But um, yeah, like I, I, I just don't understand why you, like why why this would be the sort of thing you try to specialize in. It seems crazy to me.
0: I mean, yeah, I, I guess we don't. I feel like we don't f- have a full grasp of what all the benefits actually are. So there presumably are some more benefits that we just haven't fully understood or seen yet
1: yeah well there's one interesting thing like as you sort of go through it talks about how when you reach each of the five milestones which kind of map to the five things from the awakening ritual which feels like a link i should be able to do more with but i don't quite know what it means um but you know there's this sense of like you you either have to do a challenge when you reach each of these five things or you can take it to trade it with the wolf for for like some boons or whatever. Mhm. And I was just kind of like, why wait, why wouldn't you take all five? Like there's nothing in the rules that says you can only take one. I have to assume that's the case. Just from like a game design perspective, it seems weird to like just let you take all five.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's probably a I mean maybe you can, but it means your encounter with the wolf becomes increasingly difficult or you have a greater chance of failure or whatever it is.
1: Uh, maybe you get five smaller rewards instead of one big one or something
0: yeah i could see that too um hard to know um yeah Uh, this ritual is so complicated i remember when we found out what the hungry choirs hunger games entailed and i was like there's no way anyone's gonna remember all these bits and pieces but this one is like three times as complicated as that, <laughs> and it's like it's actually insane that this is expected to be something that people just do as like their entry level to being a finder.
1: Yeah, like how crazy are the other ones that this is that this is it? Yeah. Um, I mean, just just as an aside, like to get a bit more meta for a minute, like I love this as just like a bit of a horror concept. Like there's something so horrifying about this path. Like it's so poorly formed in the sense that like you know it, it changes and it's a bit unpredictable mm. and there's like this path that you can't step off my, my favorite detail is that you have to tell the wolf that you don't want to remember what it does to you before it puts you back in reality yeah which is just so fucking horrifying yeah why, why do people do this
0: it's the kind of thing where it's like i i shudder to think of how that became a part of the ritual <laughs>
1: Well, that's yeah. Like, how do like? I wonder how because it can't be that somebody figured this out, right? Like, this must be something that, like, you know, some lost other or something told them about. Mm. Or or like, I don't, I don't understand how you discover this because there's so many rules. Like, so many lives would have had to be lost to, like, literally lost to to figure this out um, naturally. So there, there must have been. Like the the wolf must have come out and told some people how to do this, surely. Or
0: creatures like miss that are lost. Kind of spread it as some kind of recruitment tool or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean I'm I'm so interested to like and I don't know if this is the direction Pale's gonna go, but like just understanding these like out-of-world spaces, like there's references to the like, the ruins, the abyss, the warrens, um, the fairy courts, like, all these other sorts of, I mean, dimensions doesn't feel like they're, like, yeah. adjacent spaces. Yeah. Um, But some seem, like, so much more removed than others. Like, it doesn't feel to me like this is a world where you'd have, okay, there are 17 parallel dimensions, you know? It's, like, yeah, it's going to be some weird spectrum or, or mess or, of meaning. Like, I think everything at the end of the day will come down to some sort of interpretive thing. Like, yeah. The, uh, I don't know. I, I'm so I'm just so interested to learn more about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. Um, that's the end of the major of the chapters that we're discussing here. We've still got a few things to discuss before we wrap up the show, but um, yeah. that's the end of the chapters that we're discussing today.
1: Yes. Uh, so for our next bit, let's uh, we're, we're going to pull out some highlights from the pale predictor uh, mm-hmm. entries that we've gotten over the past week. Yep. Um so I guess Ruben you already touched on uh one. one.
0: Yeah, I love that prediction and I'm sure um, it will be true.
1: I I actually found this one from lapsed Classist classicist, which I just love. Uh which is that Maristica will wear the Kel suit at some point to cause trouble.
0: Oh shit. That is a and good would, one.
1: Yeah, as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, I can so That's see so that happening. Good.
0: Oh fuck, <laughs> what a great prediction
1: um so yeah i guess keep an eye out for Kel to suddenly reappear in the schoolyard or some shit and just completely set off a chain of events
0: yeah uh especially because it's presumably tainted or not tainted but like imbued with um with avery's like some of avery's energy and self so uh that is definitely now a vector for attack
1: yeah yeah. I, I just uh, hadn't even thought of that when I read it. I was like, Fucking hell, that's brilliant. It's so
0: good. Oh shit. What a great one. Great work, <laughs> lapsed classicist. Uh
1: yes. And so on that note, let's let's head into the discussion question that we ran last week, which was how can the Kenneteers beat the hungry choir? Uh
0: yeah, we got a few answers to this. Um I mean, you know, the the way that we heard about in story is beating it to drain it of power, right? Um Yeah. And so a few answers play off of that. Uh, They Brawl 97 talks about this as the first, although they then potentially think that another way to do it would be to weaken them by just killing or destroying as many waifs as possible (laughs) so that eventually people can just break the rules with impunity without needing to, um, you know, worry about being bitten or eaten. They can fight off the wraiths and then just, you know, do whatever the fuck they want basically. And that dismantles the entire ritual.
1: Yeah, I I'm not sure about this one just because, um, I mean, I it, maybe that would have worked when the hungry choir wasn't as big, but I think maybe it's too late for that. Um, I also wonder, like, again, I'm not sure this is the kind of world where like waifs just exist in a limited one to one ratio. Mm. Like, like you know, I don't I don't think it's like oh, there's just a hundred waifs. I I'm sure this choir has the ability to kind of replenish them. Th- at the cost at the cost of power, yes. admittedly. So like,
0: if yeah. you kill enough, maybe it would work. I don't know. I
1: just wonder if it's anywhere near a feasible amount at this point. Like it could be literally millions. Like you'd have to have John in some sort of mounted rail gun or something. And that's um,
0: the the epic finale of pale <laughs> John in a giant mecca with two two machine guns blasting waves. Blasting children and blowing them up. Exactly what we all want to see from this story. <laughs>
1: um yeah no i did i did love brawl's suggestion though of just like i'll oh, just like help people win it on their eighth night i mean sure you'll kill like hundreds in the process but if you make lots of winners um it'll be fine
0: well there and was one of- that i really liked i we didn't pull it out so i can't remember which one it was um but what you can do is if you get somebody to win it so theoretically wink let's say and then the next night there need to be eight new contestants. Cause yes, you've sacrificed the seven other people that were doing it with wink, whatever. That's, that's a game. Yeah. Help wink, win it, sacrifice those seven people. And then you'll get a group of eight all coming in on the same night. And then you help them win. And you just keep this cycle going of having eight winners coming through each time. And then that would presumably fuck it up beyond repair.
1: Yeah. yeah, I like that. Um, I mean, like, yeah, you'd, you'd kill a lot of people in the meantime, but it, it, you'd get there. Um, we got an answer from Lunix, um, who, it, it was a very thorough answer, so I've just sort of pulled out what I thought with the highlights, but, like, you should go read it. It's, it's mm-hmm. like, got title, headings and everything. Um, but the, the, they sort of talked about how, like, and, and a bunch of answers brought up how Mariska kind of mentioned that you can challenge it in 2.2. She, Mariska set up this idea, and we kind of skipped over it, that you can challenge the Hungry Choir to prove that it's possible. Uh, and it will have to do so, and it'll gain power if it does, but it'll lose it a, a lot if it can't. And um, so Ludix kind of suggested, like, you do this, but you try to stack the odds against the Hungry Choir. Like, they they specifically thought, like, bringing in some sort of big spirit of moderation so that people wouldn't be as greedy in its presence, so that they just wouldn't do the ritual. Um, which, like, I, you know, it maybe isn't the best example, because... I feel like mm. a giant spirit of moderation is a bit of a tautology, yeah, a tautology, true paradox, yeah. Um, but like I, I like that sort of way of thinking of like setting up this scenario where it has to prove that it's possible and trying to find ways to undermine it while it's doing that. Um, and in fact, like uh, I'll, I'll I'll use that as a segue to bring up Landis nine six three's answer, um, because I thought this was maybe the cleverest suggestion about using Marissa's point, um, which was. So the eighth night that was up and coming it was that girl who had no feet, mm. and Mariska actually mentioned that they sort of would have to prove it was winnable with the waifs like copying their injuries. Yeah, so it's just like that girl with no feet. She, there's no way. There's she's no winning. way. Exactly. Exactly. Right. <laughs> um. So maybe that like maybe they could go in and be like prove that it's possible for this girl with no feet to win tonight. Mm. I I don't know if they're allowed to do that, but like that that would definitely be a good avenue. I mean, I think they'll actually miss their chance because I'm pretty sure. While 2.3 was happening, like while Avery was sort of doing the whole thing with Pam, I think that's when it's already Wink, yeah, was doing her seventh night. So we'll, um, we might have missed the boat on that one, but it's a great idea.
0: I think there's no way Wink is dead without us getting to see Wink doing her eighth night.
1: I kind of hope we get to see Wink do her eighth night. Like, yeah, Yeah. it's gonna be fascinating, whatever happens next.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, We will see, I suppose. Um, Yeah, (laughs) a lot of great answers to the discussion question. So thanks everyone who left answers to that. Um, I think we are going to not do a discussion question this week, but we'll have another one next week for everyone to leave comments on. If you want something to discuss in the meantime, leave your thoughts on some interesting predictions in our Pale Predictor app, which you can find linked in the show notes down below.
1: Yes, uh, and and before everyone runs off, uh, mm-hmm. we're going to do our outro now. But uh, we will be doing back to packed in a minute. Yes, yeah, so we're, we're gonna... talking about
0: uh, some packed spoilers for some of the things yes. that we've seen in the past few chapters. But you have to stick around through the outro if you want that.
1: <laughs> Uh but for those of you who are gonna run off in a minute, uh thank you for listening. Uh if you wanna, you know, see what else is on the Doof Network, head to doofmedia.com. Uh there's tons of stuff, even some of it from us. Uh we just featured in the Ward uh world, actually. Mm -hmm.
0: We uh as one of our donation goals for our for our uh charity live stream a few months ago, we pledged to uh do a episode diving deep in Ward. And uh we did that. It's over on the We've Got Ward feed if you wanna go check it out.
1: Yeah, I I like I had a lot of fun making it in the end, I guess, so I, I think, you know, go check it out and, you know, listen to all the other stuff, like, there's still stuff popping up on that feed every now and then, if you somehow missed the Wildbow interview, that's there too.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, in case you missed it as well, we did a bit of a bonus piece of Pale content, where we discussed with Scott and Matt uh, their reflections on uh, how this story's going so far, and what they th- think of uh, Arc 1 and uh, the interlude, uh, pre- prologue. Uh, to this very story so if you somehow missed that scroll up in your feed and grab that and take a look at that too
1: yep uh and you know if you if you're liking all this doof stuff uh please consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash doof media uh the network only exists because of our patrons uh you get tons of cool perks as well like uh at the five dollar and above tier the doof dancer tier uh you get access to the doof and chills which when this episode comes out is uh, you know, it's only a couple of days until we have the Q&A with Matthias and Clarence. So, of course, uh, the the two guys running the new Decomposing Worm podcast. Yep.
0: Um, great great show, great people. So uh, I'm sure that chat will be great. So if you want access to it, yeah. uh, head on to Patreon and make sure that you're, at the, you're pledging at the correct level. Um, and while you're on Patreon, why don't you check out Wildbo's Patreon, because he is the one who actually created all this cool shit that we talk about every week. For two hours, so um, head on over to Wildbo's Patreon and back him as well. Uh, exchange yeah. the coin with him, I guess we call
1: him. <laughs> Is Wildbo the wolf?
0: Uh, yeah. Why not?
1: He holds. He holds the stories behind <laughs> behind the negotiations. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um. Yes. So uh, thanks everyone for joining us.
1: Now let's go back t- to Pact. Yes. So Pact spoilers starting now no.
0: uh, what about when blake uh blew up that the uh, cathedral that didn't happen what? yeah sorry i was just
1: i mean it, it kind of oh well, no that was andy yeah just anyway. to
0: make sure we had some packed spoilers to scare out all the non-packed readers
1: <laughs> um yeah so we'll, we'll, where should we start here we've got a bunch of Points we wanted to bring up as we're sort of tying what we're learning in Pale back to Pact. Let's
0: start with a very simple one, which is we find out about uh, a fairy that Marisica refers to as Grey Isbold, who gives birth to millions of rats. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Wabo has confirmed this is the fairy that Johannes had uh, kind of, m- you know, manipulated rat populations to draw out and then bound and then used. In an attempt against uh, Faisal when when during that kind of long competition that they had, um, yeah. when uh, Faisal agreed to become Johannes' familiar, um, so that's just a fun little piece of the world that uh, I'd
1: forgotten about. That insane.
0: I, I think that character is listed under Arthild in the Pact Wiki, so you can check them out. That's what I did because I had completely forgotten
1: about them too. <laughs> Uh yes. In fact, speaking of fairy that were in Pact, mm-hmm. I mean like obviously we've just learned about this whole court system, so immediately I'm trying to put all the fairy we've met into the, the various courts yeah. that we've just found out about.
0: Yeah. Which do you think uh Podrig and Co. are in?
1: So I mean I think all the Fay that we met in Pact are from like High Spring and High Fall. Mm. but i'm honestly i don't know if we've quite got enough for me to be confident on exactly which one of those two yeah i don't
0: think they were from high or summer above and they didn't seem no. like they were from any of the oh, dark
1: choirs. latita actually could maybe be summer above oh yeah
0: true she was you know a swords a swordswoman, woman yeah. around kind of stabbing things i could see that
1: um but like like yeah like Paul drigg eselton keller yeah i i I can't. Yeah, I I feel high like they may be all from the same one. I I want to say high spring, mm. um, just because there's that focus on like aristocracy and, yes. and like being like all sort of posh, I guess. Yeah. Um, but like I'm like it could be high fall. I like I, I'm not I'm not super confident. Yeah, I I agree.
0: I'm I'm there with you. Um, yeah. <laughs>
1: I'm trying to think, like, were there any other fairies? There were the ones we met in the hyenas domain, but, like. Yeah. And there was, like.
0: There was uh, when uh, Sandra went to the uh, fairy court. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, but I don't remember which court that was, if we ever found that out.
1: I, I don't think we found it out. But, again, that's, like, I, I just. Knowing what we know Feels about High Spring. And, yeah, doesn't it? And High Fall. like, it, it, But it could be. 'Cause like the thing about the High Falls well is they were more tangled in human ways, which yeah maybe to me says they were the kind of court that would make those familiar deals with families like the Duchamps. Mm. So yeah, I think they were just described as melodramatic and brooding, which like yeah, like, yeah, I don't know. Like High Spring and High Fall I think applies to you know, most of the fairies that we met. So I can't I can't quite confidently pin them to one or the other yet, I don't think.
0: Um yeah,
1: Latita's maybe the only one who I'm a bit more like. I think she's summer above.
0: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I, I,
1: <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I'd be interested to hear from the audience. Uh, in, in spoiler, you know, context. Like, obviously, don't go throwing this unspoiled in the Reddit mm-hmm. channel. But if you have any strong feelings and and reasons why, I'd love to hear them.
0: Yeah. Cool. Uh, um, what else?
1: Actually, uh, another just just before we leave the fairy behind. Um. Like, I'm pretty sure in Deep Impact 8.1, I pretty much sort of called this whole fairy origin story mm. thing. Like, I sort of said that I saw the fairy being an embodiment of, like, lies and deception. Mm. And that's sort of what we learn here. So, I don't know if I was 100%, but I'm just going to sit here and be smug about it anyway. I don't even know if that was a common fan theory before I said it. But I'm going to sit here and, and, and be proud of myself for finally getting, like, a long-term theory, maybe mostly correct.
0: Good stuff. Great work, Elliot. It feels good when you get a big <laughs> theory, right? As I'm sure to find out
1: soon. Yeah. One day, one day you'll uh... <laughs> um Good stuff. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, it, this isn't so much, this is more of a follow up. I think like we we had Matt and Scott on and we talked about packed stuff with them. And it, we sort of kept that discussion going a little bit uh, between the four of us, like after recording. Mm. And I just wanted to pull out like something, like a thought that was had after. Um, that discussion is we're talking a bit more about Mags Mags coming into the story, which mm. was something Matt talked about on air. And, like, something that I'm so mad I didn't think about while we were having that conversation is this whole idea of, I, I would actually love to see Mags in this story now because Impact, and, and it, well, yeah, Impact, she was this sort of, like, you know, plucky up-and-coming practitioner who, you know, had bad stuff happen to her and she got trapped. And, but, like, you know, she was always sort of the young upstart. mm And this story is set like six years later. And so I think what's fun now is is we've got the three kind of tears who are now kind of our, like, you know, intrepid young upstarts. And Mags would, by comparison, be this, like, old, grizzled mid-20s practitioner who's maybe even perhaps a role model or a warning of the future, depending on how she's going. Like, so I could actually see Mags working in this story just because it would be such a different view on her to what we got in Pact. Like, she's she's not the young... Upside anymore now she is the the person they're looking to as the future vision who's grizzled and been worn down by the world
0: mm. yeah yeah i could see that especially if there's potentially uh going to be more encounters with fairy she could be a you know a good uh you know <laughs> warning sign of what not to do i
1: suppose yeah yeah speaking is like a warning of what what you could become yeah if can play around with fairy
0: yeah um One of the things i want to talk to talk about is the idea of the wolf which as i was reading through this bonus bit that we covered it really gave me very strong like blackfish vibes like the the abyss blackfish that blake and green eyes had encountered um separately i i I don't know what it was it just like the wolf had this concept of i think it specifically the part that really jumped out to me was it seemed to have different forms depending on who you were right and you could even kind of request yeah. that it didn't take, or that it took a more specific form uh, from your life, um, or that it didn't take a form. And and so I was kind of like, is that, is it the same thing? Is it, is this just a, th- a a common thread across these pocket dimensions or whatever you want to call them? Or is it like, yeah, I don't know.
1: Well, I think like that's why I'm so excited to get into these adjacent spaces, because I think like my understanding at the moment of the of the the forest ribbon trail is that it's perhaps like further removed from reality, even the than the say days. like yeah. the abyss. And my assumption is that like things get even more interpretive and symbolic the further you go. Mm. So there's maybe overlap, but like the wolf might be the, the sort of blackfish thing, but on another level,
0: like one level deeper. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Like I. I'm hesitant to even call things like levels in this because sure. like that feels too numerical. Like uh, it's all in my mind. This is all just going to be spectrums, uh, like overlapping spectrums of reality. Like you could see the spirit world just being you moving to a place where the spiritual interpretation of objects is more literal. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know. I, like I still, I, I haven't clicked together how Wilbo is forming the lists of what places there are. And and I can't wait to try and put that puzzle together. Yeah, but like you know, like the paths or wait, so the Reuben Trail, like that, fit to me feels like it takes so much of its form based on the person who goes there. It's almost like saying to me, it's so far removed from reality that it actually relies on the person visiting it to get form. Like you know, we sort of talked about impact how humans were having so much of an impact on the world, and it, like what's what that's almost saying to me is like these planes are barely holding together. And it kind of relies on the person viewing it t- to take form.
0: Yeah. I guess the more abstract it gets, the more I think that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Which is just like, that's such a cool concept. I'm like, what the fuck else is out there then? Like this, this ribbon trail is so fucking weird. It's probably like, it probably is the beginner finder's path. Um, yeah. It just, again, calls into question, why would anyone choose this as a, as a specialist?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God. I don't know.
1: That's pretty wild. So Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, I'm, I am I really hope we get to dive into a lot more about these adjacent spaces, because I really want to try and figure out the system Walbo's using to decide what ones exist. Mm. Like, the Forest Ribbon Trail, I, I, I'm just trying to think of, like, is there anything that maps to? Like, you know, the ideas of, like, spirit worlds and fairy courts, um, and, you know, even the Abyss, you could sort of draw connections to between them and, like, existing mythology. Like, the Abyss could sort of be various versions of hell or something. Um, but the Forest Ribbon Trail—is that—is that anything? like you know, if anyone has any connections, because I've got to—is like some sort of like, you know, here in here in Australia, like the Indigenous Australians have like the the concepts of like walkabouts and spirit journeys and stuff. Like, is it like a North American something to do with that? I, I don't know.
0: Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it feels like it's, yeah, I don't know. It's there's all these kind of floating around ideas. Obviously, there's a lot of North American imagery that we've seen. I don't think it's explicitly the same, but there's a, like the idea of taking your kind of spirit guide along with you felt very evocative of that to me as well. Right. But I, it doesn't feel yeah. explicit enough to, to put my finger on it yet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's almost kind of like maybe are these places formed out of ideas? And then it's like, so what's the process for an idea forming one of these other dimensions, you know, like maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's just all it is. I don't know. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see. I'm going to stop wasting everyone's time just <laughs> spouting
0: nonsense. I mean, you, you know, it's good to get these things down as predictions so that if they pay off, we can uh, <laughs> claim the, the credits for them.
1: Sure, sure. Um, um, but, yeah, anyway, I think I think that's all we had on, on this week's Back to Pact. Uh,
0: yeah. Thanks, everyone, for joining. As uh, usual, when we do Back to Pact, we've already finished the uh, – the outro so we're gonna just awkwardly end the show here